Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hackett has the ball. Trojans in transition. Penrose is alone. They get it to Penrose for the three. Welcome to Believe in USC Basketball, everybody. My name is Aiden Berg, and today I'm joined, as always, by my co-host and Trojan legend, Christopher Penrose. Chris, how are you doing today? I'm awesome. How are you? I'm doing well, in large part because we have our first guest on the podcast since I joined the show. I want to welcome Marshall Kellner, a USC alum of 2011, sports media extraordinaire, formerly of uh, Galen Central. Uh, This guy's done play-by-play, he's done media relations, he's worked with the Blue Jays and the Twins, he's done all of it. But today we're going to get back to his USC roots to talk some hoops. Marshall, how are you doing today? I'm great, guys. Thanks for having me on. Well, thanks for coming on. We're looking forward to... Uh, you know, talking to you, getting your insights on where, where the team is at. And, uh, you know, but before we, we get too much into that, you know, I want to give you the opportunity to tell our listeners, you know, a little bit about your career path, um, you know, your time at USC and how you stayed in tune with the, with the basketball team. Yeah. Um, well, I'm originally from uh, Minnetonka, Minnesota, just outside of, of Minneapolis. Um, so uh, coming, coming to, I did not have like a family history with USC or anything like that. Um, I saw USC on uh, a visit out to LA that I was on with uh, my mom and um, really just fell in love with the school uh, after going on campus, even though it was a really hot day when I was out there the first time in August. But, uh, but yeah, I, I had always loved college basketball. Um, Minneapolis, as you guys know, it's a more of a pro sports town. Um, but when I followed the Gophers, um, growing up, it was always more for their basketball team. And then I remember I was like nine, 10 years old when they actually made a run to the final four that has since been vacated, but certainly can't be vacated from my memory. Uh, and Clem Haskins took the team to the final four and, um, really fell in love with college basketball from there. And then I was very fortunate at USC that my freshman year in, in 2007, uh, was when OJ Mayo arrived on campus. And uh, I tell people now, and they, they can't believe it, but there were lines around Galen Center, and I'm sure Chris remembers, uh, just to get into the, to the student section back then. I mean, it was, it was electric. Uh, you, when you have a guy with that kind of star power, um, and then you look on the other side of town, Kevin Love was there. So um, it was a great, great time to join the, the Trojan family and, and be a part of the basketball uh, program. I started uh, broadcasting games. Um, I think my sophomore year was when I first started broadcasting games and we had DeMar DeRozan then. Um, and Taj Gibson was there my first two years. Nikola Vucevic was there. Um, other great players who didn't make it to the NBA, but like Daniel Hackett, Dwight Lewis, um, just tremendous players and teams and Tim Floyd um, did a great job of elevating the, the profile of the program. I still think he kind of got a raw deal um, when he was when he was let go. But it, I also was in the uh, the marching band at USC, so um, people think of that for football, but also for basketball. Um, it was a smaller group, and my sophomore year, when we won the Pac-10 tournament, um, I got to go with a team to the NCAA tournament. Everyone was hoping for like this tropical location in Miami or, or New Orleans or some 
some destination location. And of course we got sent to Minneapolis, which was, <laughs> I was the only one who liked that. Uh, but it was, it was awesome. Uh, Taj Gibson had a phenomenal record setting first game where he didn't miss a shot. And, uh, they almost beat Michigan state in the second round. Um, Taj got a pretty bad fourth foul call on him right in front of where the band was, was sitting. And a young Nikola Vucevic had to come into the game. Wasn't quite prepared then. And it barely fell to, to Michigan state. But I remember when Tim Floyd got back out, got back onto the charter flight back to LA after that game, he looked like he had just been through a, a war. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The guy coached his butt off all the time. So, um, you know, I was appreciative for him bringing so many good teams. And then um, even the first few years of, of Kevin O'Neill, the team was competitive. And the only year they didn't make it to the tournament during my time at USC was when they put the uh, self-imposed sanctions on uh, my, my junior year. My senior year, they ended up losing to VCU in the, uh, in the, in the first four. Um, it was one of the first years they, they had expanded the tournament. Yeah, it was and, like the one of the, the first year of like the playing games. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and everyone was kind of assuming that SC would win that game. Um, VCU was not well known at the time. Um, the young Shaka Smart was there, and uh, actually, a sad story is I had taken the broad the radio broadcast equipment back to Minnesota because the the tournament was always that first week of spring break, and I took the equipment back and was just assuming I was going to drive down to Chicago and call the USC, uh, I think they were going to play Georgetown or Georgetown or Butler, something like that. And uh, of course, that never came to fruition. So that's kind of how it ended during my time at SC. But um, I've always stayed in tune to the program. You know, I have been in minor league baseball, kind of like you mentioned, Aiden, all over the place. Uh, Most recently for my hometown, uh, Minnesota Twins affiliate down in uh, Fort Myers, Florida. So, uh, yeah, but I, I've, I watch all the games, even though they come on very late out here. <laughs> That's something <laughs> we, we could get into. But I, I feel like it hasn't been quite as late this year until they hit us with the 11.30 p.m. Eastern tip against Colorado in the, in the Pac-12 tournament. That was – and, of course, you're assuming it's going to start late. Uh, luckily, that one did start on time, but uh, – and, and was a really entertaining game. They almost got Colorado, but uh, hopefully, hope, well, now they won't see him until the final four. So if that's the case, uh, <laughs> that's, that's fine. We'll take our chances. But I'm yeah. okay with not seeing them ever again, to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and uh, yeah, I, I, I always follow your tweets, Chris, about it, you know, and how, how they were calling the first half of the game. Uh, or they were calling it very physical at first, and then SC was not – getting calls so going to, going to the rim in that game. Uh, but I was impressed, you know, how, how they fought back because even in the final couple minutes, that, that comeback was very impressive. Some guys who had not played well the entire game started coming alive, like Taj Edi and Drew Peterson. Uh, they really didn't have anything going aside from Evan Mobley all game until, until the end. You kind of saw what the team is capable of when they get even – two, three guys stepping up aside from Evan. I was just going to say, you know, that's kind of been an Achilles heel for this team all year, right? It's like getting all the pieces to work together uh, at the same time hasn't really happened much. When it does, you look at it and go, wow, this team could really could really make a run in the tournament. Uh, 
But I mean, getting all of those cylinders firing at once, you know, it, it just hasn't really happened. I mean, if you could pick like Ethan Anderson's game against UCLA at home where he hit five threes, Tajidi's game against Oregon, Evan Moby's game against Colorado in the tournament. If you could if you could put all those games together, I don't know if anyone would beat this team this year. But it's it's been an issue getting all those guys, you know, playing well at the same time throughout the season. The problem is also that their best game free throw shooting wise is probably like 80%. So that's always did it. That's always going to take you down a little bit. Just before we move on, I did want to point out that it feels like this, uh, this, you know, matchup for this podcast feels uh, like it's been in the making for a while. Cause I'm actually from Minnesota as well. I'm from Minneapolis, uh, nice. Southwest high school. And then it seems like uh, you like just miss Chris when he was at USC. Um, so it's like, it's like, we've like been like around each other, but like just missed each other. So, uh, it's, it's been, it's cool that we, that we get to set this up, but yeah, let's talk a little bit more about the, the way that USC is playing entering this tournament. You know, Marshall, you kind of said, you know, there was, they're encouraging stuff against Colorado, especially at the end of the game to have like that resilience and all that. How do you feel overall about the, the way that USC is entering this tournament in terms of how they're playing? And then we'll, we'll give that to you, Marshall. And then Chris, you can jump in on it too. You know, it's been a weird last few weeks. I mean, it, when it looked like they had the Pac-12 title in hand, pretty much, you know, with about a month to go, uh, not that you can ever assume things. And this this team has struggled in past Februarys under under Andy Enfield. I think a little bit too much is, is made of that because there's a lot of extenuating circumstances. I mean, you just look uh, at some of the injuries they had. Uh, when Benny Boatwright, his last couple of years with the team, was was hurt um, down the stretch in some years. So I think a little too much is made of that. But you, again, you know, when you're talking about possibly winning a conference title for the first time solo in 60 years, <laughs> um, it's it's uh, it's something that you know USC fans were were pretty excited about. But it, it, you just had these kind of inexplicable performances, the mountain, the mountain trip, you can kind of explain away a little bit. You know, you wish they were more competitive in, in Boulder, but you knew that was going to be a tough game. The Utah game was frustrating, um, but it was the last game of that really long week and like four games in eight days or something at elevation. Um, And Isaiah White still coming off uh, a back injury. So the, it, it has been a weird final few weeks, but I think in the, in the Pac-12 tournament, you saw, again, like you, you just mentioned, some, some positive signs. If they had been blown out by Colorado, that would have been worrisome, even though, again, they always struggle with Colorado. But I think they, they can gain some confidence coming out of that Pac-12 tournament. Um, was it necessary to win the tournament? Not, not really. Uh, I mean, I think for me going into the tournament, I was hoping they could improve their seed a little bit. Um, but I think the seed actually as a six is almost better for a deep run, a chance of a deep run than a four or five would be, especially in Gonzaga's region. Um, yeah. Gonzaga, I, I said all along, I was like, I want to be like a three or a six seed and not in Gonzaga's region. And I got half of my, half of my wish, but when you don't have to play Gonzaga until the regional final, that's a win. That's a win. I mean, if you get to the regional final, you'll take your chances against 
against anybody. And I think it sets up pretty nicely, especially with, you know, over a week off in, in between games, which is important. I think Isaiah Mobley has not really looked the same since, uh, since that calf injury. And he's had a rough year offensively to begin with, but he didn't seem to have the same burst coming off the floor, grabbing offensive rebounds as we saw before that injury. Um, and I think the week off will help him should help Isaiah white. Although Isaiah was phenomenal. I think in the, in the Utah game, especially when, when uh, Evan Mobley got into foul trouble, Isaiah White's energy is a big, big difference for this team. So I think it, it does set up nicely. They're going to play a team that's already played, uh, which can be good or bad, but I, I think the, the added rests should help. And then sets up for a matchup against Kansas, um, a game I got to call when I was a senior. I got to go to Kansas. Wow. And Chris will remember Geo Fontan stepped out of bounds um, down the stretch, and that, that – uh, could have sealed the game for, for SC mm-hmm. and Kansas had like a long, long uh, home winning streak at the time of over 60 games. Uh, but I think Kansas, you're talking about a team that came, is coming off COVID. Uh, they have left players behind in Lawrence. And I don't think their situation is quite as bad as Virginia's, but you saw what happened to Baylor when they came off COVID and even SC had you know, remember back to the beginning of the season, they didn't look great coming off COVID and got trounced by Colorado in the Pac-12 opener uh, shortly after their COVID uh, issues. So that's not easy for Kansas. And they have the big guy McCormick, I believe his name is, inside who could give Evan Mobley some, some issues. But Kansas hasn't seen a big guy like Evan Mobley this this entire season. And I think you got to like SC's chances uh, to, to at least get to the Sweet 16. I think they have a good shot at it. Yeah, and I agree. Um, you know, going back to the Pac-12 tournament, you know, that, that Utah game, uh, I almost put my head through uh, my, my sliding glass window a couple times down the stretch there, just missing free throws that we, you know, in order to seal the game. And, you know, you let Utah take you to double overtime. Uh, luckily, Colorado had to play, uh, you know, Cal at you know, 940 that night Pacific time. Um, so both teams were probably a little tired, but, um, you know, it's, unfortunately it's, it's the same things, um, you know, going into the, to the NCAA tournament, there are two things that really, really concern me. And that's, that's long droughts on offense, you know, against Colorado, Colorado went on a 17 to three run, um, and, and SC just couldn't make anything and then miss free throws. I mean, you know, that's a two point game, uh, against Colorado, and, you know, ending the game on a 14 to two run right before Colorado made that Tim duck to win, you know, that's great. And that's really exciting and awesome. But, you know, going six to 12 from the free throw line, 50%, you know, you make three of those, you win the game. Um, so it, it's, it's, it's concerning when it's the same things over and over and over again that are not getting corrected. And that's my biggest concern because, Hey, if you've had a full season, to try to correct those things, what's going to change now when you go into the tournament? You know, it's the same glaring things that we're all going to be concerned about probably coming back around. But, you know, Marshall, I totally agree with you. I, I'm pretty happy with with USC's uh, six seed and kind of where they sit uh, on their side of the bracket. Uh, you know, I, I can't wait to watch that Wichita-Drake uh, game on Thursday. Um, that's going to be really, really fun to watch. Drake gets one of their best players back. Um, so, you know, 
having having you know the winner of that game which I would assume is going to be pretty back and forth and, and pretty spirited ha- have to play USC next I like that um, and I really like Kansas's I, I like how SC matches up with Kansas you know don't don't worry Bill Self will get his team 100% ready for that game and I'm sure everyone will play knowing Bill Self um, if, if you catch my drift but I'm pretty sure everyone's going to play for Kansas in that game um, but I think SC matches up well, and I think they'll probably push through and beat Kansas. Um, but Iowa terrifies me, and I think that's who they'll get next. And Iowa is strong and physical, and we all know how USC has done in the past with strong physical teams. I mean, of their six losses this year, half are to Colorado, which is a very strong and physical team. So that really concerns me. Um, I, I I don't think SC can power pass Iowa. Um, but, you know, I, I would love for them to get to the Sweet 16. And when you have the Pac-12 Player of the Year, Freshman of the Year, Defensive Player of the Year, and the Coach of the Year, in my opinion, there's no excuse to not make it to the Sweet 16 with all that. So, we'll see. Yeah, I have I have somewhat somewhat more tempered expectations than you guys. I think that 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 eleven six game is just always so uh, so kind of freaky when when you get around to March Madness time. I did some mm-hmm. research on it. And uh, since it was solidified to being the, you know, the 211 seed and 216 seed matchups in like 2015, I think, up until 2019, one of those play-in 11 seeds won their round of 64 game every single year. Um, so it's, in my opinion, it's almost a toss-up. Is that going to be USC versus whoever they play, or is it going to be BYU versus whoever they play between UCLA and Michigan State? And if I had to make a pick, yeah, it's, it's going to be BYU versus UCLA or Michigan State because I think that uh, those two potential teams are better than the teams that USC would be playing. But that being said, it's just not a great thing to be going against that trend in, in the tournament, right? And mm-hmm. I, I also just think, you know, Wichita State has kind of like a reputation of, of being a team that has, that has made some runs in the tournament before. Drake is a really, really good offensive team. I would probably prefer USC to play Drake in that first round because I think that they have a they have an injury uh, on their team. I think their their point guard, their leading assist guy, is is going to be out for the season. So that that's what you're kind of looking at for that. But you know, may, maybe let's delve a little bit deeper. What do you what do you guys know about those two potential first round matchups for for USC? And, and have you guys looked at at those two teams at all in Drake and Wichita State? Yeah, so, I mean, Wichita State, they fire up threes, right? Uh, they're going to be high-octane offense, uh, trying to get up and down the court, push the pace. Um, you know, they they're kind of remind me of uh, an Ernie Ken Oregon team way back in the day when I played uh, with, you know, just getting the ball up the floor. And, you know, if there's a – if it's one pass and three-point shot, that's okay. Uh, they're they're going to get their shots up and they're going to they're gonna go up and down. Um Drake is is a little bit different. They are a very good defensive team. Um, I think they were either first or second in the conference in steals. Um, they box out. They rebound a little bit more. Um, you know, I won't say walk the ball up, but they're not really looking to push in transition as much as Wichita State is. Um, and they get one of their best players back. I think they were nineteen to one with him uh, in the lineup, and like three and six with him out of the lineup. So. Uh, they're going to be full strength, and you know both those teams are going to be a tough matchup. I agree with you. I I think I'd kind of prefer a Drake because you just never know what you get with Wichita State, and 
you know, SC's had a very difficult time guarding the three-point line. Um, I mean, again, we saw it against Colorado, right? Uh, Dry Horn and and uh, McKinley Wright just just lit them up from three, and that's been that's been kind of an issue for more, most of the year for the Trojans. So um, I would prefer a matchup with Drake, um, but that that Wichita State Drake game is going to be fantastic to watch. Yeah, and, and guys from three who aren't great three-point shooters on the season. McKinley Wright does a lot of good things. He's not a, a great three-point shooter, but against SC, uh, it, it seems like every time he he's able to knock at least a few down. Um, I do know about uh, Aiden, you'll know, uh, there's a powerhouse program in Minnesota called De La Salle uh, High School, and uh, the head coach there for a number of years was a guy by the name of Dave Thorson. And he is now an assistant coach at, at Drake. And many people thought he was going to move to the, to the college ranks. So he, he's a good one. Uh, I, can, I can tell you that. And, and Drake has, has, I mean, both are coming from perceived weaker, weaker conferences. But Drake has played Loyola Chicago very tough uh, a few times this year. And that Loyola Chicago team is an eight seed that uh, many people think uh, could win their first game. Um, so you know, take, take that for, for what it's worth. Uh, back to what Chris was saying, I totally agree with him on Iowa. Uh, I have watched Iowa a, a number of times this year. And I mean, if, if there's one big who's been better than Evan Mobley, it's Luca Garza. And Luca Garza has like 40 or 50 pounds on him. Um, he, Evan Mobley is going to be better in the NBA, but Luca Garza is a senior. He's been through the ringer. Uh, through a very tough Big Ten conference, and I think I think those Big Ten teams in general, uh, very physical league, very good league all year, and those Big Ten teams now that they're out of the Big Ten, I think could be uh, liberating for some of them. Yeah. Uh, and and that Iowa team, they're very well coached by Fran McCaffrey. They make threes, um, so I will be cheering for Oregon to knock off Iowa, which I think is going to be a good game in the second round, potentially in that seven, two battle. And maybe we have a pack 12 matchup in the, in the sweet 16. That, that would be much more to my liking. than That'd be uh, awesome. Yeah. Especially when you consider from the USC perspective, anyway, that the one game that they played against Oregon, they were pretty clearly the better team for the, for most of that game. They had, they gave up that little run towards the end, but they were up by, you know, 20, like almost, at the beginning of the game. So I think USC would definitely like to see Oregon again, especially because yeah, not that it, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be easy. Dana, all no, no. this time of year is, is very good. No, no game is going to be easy at this point. No game is easy at this time. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But you also you also have to consider uh, that the USC probably has a chip on their shoulder from that game from Oregon, you know, winning the Pac-12 basically on, you know, like playing fewer games and percentage and and that kind of thing. So I do think that USC would be very motivated yeah. in that game. But you're certainly right. No easy games at this time of year. Yeah, no, no question. But it, I, I would love I would love that. And unfortunately, I don't see how Gonzaga doesn't get to the the elite eight they've got they're, they're matching up against teams that they've already trounced by 20 30 points um you know in their first first few games it looks like so we'll see we'll see about gonzaga in terms of making a deep run uh i, I want to bring this up it, it seems like 
Evan Mobley, who's obviously been fa- fantastic the whole season. He won the you know the conference player of the year, all that stuff that Chris said before the before the conference tournament. But then he went out and put up twenty six nine and five blocks in both of those games, and had mm-hmm. it, it, the announcers were saying, you know, this is the most aggressive that we've seen Evan Mobley offensively all season. Shot fifty percent or better in both of those games, so it wasn't like he was just chucking up shots or anything like that. Do you guys think that he's making kind of a, a star turn that could really lead the Trojans on a deep run since, as Chris kind of said before, they haven't really been able to put it all together as a team at any point during the season? I think so. I think so. And I, and, and I, to be honest, I think the coaches sat him down after he won all those awards and said, hey, man, you got to put this team on your back right now. And what I'm kind of hoping happens is I'm hoping that you know, the team watches that film and watches Evan Mobley just crank for two straight games, and it kind of makes them elevate their game a little bit. Maybe they can hit a couple more threes. Maybe Ethan Anderson, you know, gets a little bit more confidence in his game. I just feel like EA, for most of the season, he has, he's had a couple good games, but you can tell he's not the same player he was at the end of last year, or even at the beginning of this year before his back injury. Um, I'm really hoping he can get a little bit more confidence and a little bit more swagger back. So, you know, he can produce a little bit more, um, you know, Drew Peterson, I feel like he's, he's Mr. Second half. Uh, he doesn't really do much in the first half, but you know, when it's time to turn it on, he turns it on. If he can put two halves together, you know, that'd be fantastic. And maybe, you know, maybe Evan can, you know, if teams start to double him a little bit more, if he starts to get a little bit more attention, you know, Drew Peterson is one of the best on the team on cutting to the basket. And, and you know, maybe there's some easy layups to be had there. But I've, I've, I've really enjoyed Mobley's aggressiveness over the last, you know, two games. And I think that's just going to continue. But I'm just hoping that will make other players perform a little bit better. Um, because if it's just the Evan Mobley show, uh, SC's not going to get very far. Yeah, I agree. If you look at his field goal attempts the last three games, 10, 14, 16 against Colorado. I mean, he, he's the only one keeping a minute in the first half. They were using every sort of defensive strategy against him, and it didn't matter. I mean, it, when, it, when he's making shots close to the three-point line or even threes uh, or even all the way out to the three-point line, it is virtually unstoppable. And I think I think Chris is totally right. The coaches did sit him down and, and say it's time it's time to take over. Like you're, you're going to be the top three pick in the draft, probably the number two pick in the NBA draft. Um, it's time to show why. And it, it's a little bit tougher for a big guy, right? I mean, it's, it's not the same as just putting the ball in Kate Cunningham's hands or Jalen Suggs' hands. You know, those other, those other guys are going to be top picks and letting them take over. USC has to be a little more creative in getting the ball to Evan Mobley, but they have found a way to do it, um, not just in traditional post-up situations, but they get it to him at the elbow and let him make decisions. I think in that high post area, he's absolutely deadly because if you sag off of him, he will knock down that 15 foot jumper. He can pass. Um, when he's turned facing you up um, and, and then he can drive and with two dribbles, he can get to the rim and, and slam it down. So um, I, I agree though, Ethan Anderson, and I was going to bring him up. Totally agree with Chris. He, he to me is really the key. And I looked, I looked before this in his, in the losses that he's played in, 
he has averaged 4.8 points per game in the wins 6.8 so not not a huge difference but all his double digit games have been in wins he's shot mm-hmm. this this is the big difference right here field goal percentage 33% in losses 38% in wins but look from 3 from 3 2 of 8 in the losses barely even shoots them in the wins 15 of 35 that's nearly 43%. So mm-hmm. and you saw what he did against UCLA five of those were against UCLA, yeah. but still, I, I, he does take a long time to unload that three. It seems like <laughs> uh, it takes forever for him to get rid of it, but he has improved his three point shooting. That is the one big improvement from last year, but I agree with Chris overall. There's just seems to be something off in his game. Um, he has to have the most offensive fouls on the team. Um, but when he's, when he's playing under control, He's making guys. He's making guys better. He averages three assists per game in in losses and wins. Turnovers are a little up in the losses, but that big difference is the is the three point shooting. And I think really all season, SC's been looking for a guy other than Taj Eady or Drew Peterson to make a three. And even if it's just one or two threes, to let that defense have to respect it a little bit and sag off Evan Mobley just a tad. Because uh, they're going to get they're going to get opportunities from three point mm-hmm. range uh, when you when you're talking about guys swarming Evan, Evan Mobley. Evan Mobley will be the key to every scouting report uh, for every team USC plays. So there's going to be opportunities from the three point line. And uh, I was hoping Noah Bauman at some point this season was going to be that guy. Um, he got more of a chance at the beginning of the season, but for whatever reason, he's he's fallen out of the lineup with the exception of you know that last minute or so of the first half against Colorado where he knocked down a three, but it's clear uh, coach Enfield does not want him on the floor. I think on the defensive side, he trusts Matt yeah. Polo a little more, but I, I thought it was going to be Noah. It's clearly not going to be unless somebody gets a bad injury or in foul trouble. It's going to have to be Ethan Anderson uh, to, to go along with Taj and, and Drew. Yeah, in terms of the offensive fouls, I'm not so sure. The refs do love calling Isaiah Mobley for those on his, his yeah, back true, true. as well. <laughs> I, think, I think you could definitely tell what the point of emphasis was in the Pac-12, or at least the Western uh, referee symposium this year, was offensive fouls. If I saw another offensive foul called in the Pac-12 tournament, I was going to throw my remote at the TV. It was just ridiculous. What a joke. And yeah. also tur- turning when when you have like a someone coming off like your shoulder like the the uh, the print like ball whatever, screen yeah. handoff oh yeah my God. yeah it's so <laughs> ridiculous oh it's so stupid. Uh, we're, we're going to be wrapping up here soon a little bit, but um, and I know this is something that we've kind of gotten into at the end here, but I just want to wrap up with this and give you two a chance to make your predictions for how USC does uh, in the NCAA tournament officially. Again, we talked about it earlier in the podcast, but this is official time. So let, let's start with you, Marshall. How, how far do you think USC ends up going? I think they win two games and go to the Sweet 16. And I, I agree with what Chris was saying earlier when you when you do what they've done all season the expectation should be the sweet 16 um that's how that's how you elevate this program and continue to i mean everybody's going to be watching this people have been starving for march madness for over a year now and i wish last year's team could have gone because i think last year's team the way they were playing with big o 
uh, could have made it could have made a run possibly to the Sweet 16. But I think I think this year's team does get to the Sweet 16 if they're fortunate enough to get Oregon there. Then I think maybe Elite Eight. But uh, I think they probably play Iowa and, and fall in that game. Yeah, and I'd agree. I, I think I think USC probably ends up playing Wichita State. Um, I think they they win that by about you know eight to ten points. Then I think they play Kansas uh, in the round of 32. They squeak out a win by three points or so. Uh, and then they fall to Iowa in the Sweet 16. And, you know, that would be the first time SC's made the Sweet 16 since my senior year uh, when we lost to, to North Carolina um, and they went on that on that big 20 to nothing run uh, after two phantom fouls were called on Taj Gibson for his third and fourth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they scored 20 straight points all off offensive rebounds. So, Marshall, we, we, you and Aiden and I should do another show where we just talk about the past because that seems yes. like a lot of fun to me. Uh, <laughs> yes. but, so maybe we'll do that one of the one of the episodes after the season. You know, I was watching that game. Uh, I hadn't quite decided to come to USC yet, but I knew there was a good possibility. And uh, that game alone got—I mean, the whole the whole run you guys made that year got me excited about uh, about SC basketball and, and it turns out for good reason uh they didn't go as far as we wanted uh, the next couple of years with with coach Floyd but uh certainly uh, and Aiden mentioned the 611 my freshman year they were a six and got put up against Michael Beasley in yeah, Omaha Kansas State. in Omaha <laughs> yeah uh, with all Kansas State fans and uh they did not play very well in that game and uh and it was Bill Walker I believe, along with uh, Michael Beasley, who took him out. But uh, yeah, but yeah, good, definitely, definitely good times. And I think you know, without the without the uh, postponement or the cancellation of the tournament last year, and then they got snubbed. Remember, in Jordan McLaughlin's senior year. Huge. Oh my goodness. Huge. My freshman year, my freshman year, they were like the oh best team by Ken Palm ranking ever to not make the tournament. Or something. and I think that was. I think there was something to be said for any team that had the FBI investigation. Yeah, they didn't yeah want absolutely. If there was any, if they were on the bubble, they weren't getting in. We shouldn't yeah. have been on the bubble. Let's be honest. Um, mm-hmm. But I felt terrible for that team, especially JMAC, not to get yeah. to another another run at it. But you look at that; they made it in six in sixteen, in seventeen, the great win over SMU, almost beat Baylor, um, and then. And then 18, that would have been three straight tournaments. 19 mm-hmm. was the fluky year with uh, Kevin Porter, you know, barely playing. And then 20. So if you look at that, should have been five tournaments in six years. Yep. So pretty good. Pretty good uh, for the Andy Enfield <laughs> haters out there. It's pretty good. <laughs> find, find, yeah. me, find me better in the history yeah. of the yeah, certainly, certainly trending upward for the USC program, especially when you consider uh, what Chris mentioned earlier with the with their performance during awards season. Uh, pretty, you know, unprecedented in a number of ways. But um, I want to thank you for coming on, Marshall. Uh, do you want to tell the people where they can find you online, on social, all that stuff? Yeah, it's just uh, at Marshall Kellner on Twitter, two L's and then K-E-L-N-E-R uh, for my last name. Pretty easy. Um, maybe I'll add an SC after it. But uh, yeah, th- thank you guys for uh, thank you guys for bringing me on. Always good. Yeah, to thanks talk. for coming on. Always good to talk USC basketball. Yeah, it was a great time, and certainly loved hearing your insights. So thank you so much for coming on. That's going to do it for today's show. Thank you to everyone for listening. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere else that podcasts exist. 
Thank you again for tuning in, and we will see you next week. Fight on. Fight on. Fight on. See you guys. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.